Hey, it's Anita, and this is the Anita Posh Show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Anita Posh Show, where it is my pleasure to keep you up to date with topics around Bitcoin on a global stage and also the local impact it has on people like you and me. My guest today is Meron Estefanos. She's a Swedish-based Eritrean human rights activist and journalist who works tirelessly to aid and raise awareness about the plight of Eritrean refugees who have been kidnapped, tortured, raped, and held for ransom in the Sudan and the Sinai. In her efforts to rise up against the dictatorship in Eritrea, she engages researchers in Ethiopia who she paid through Bitcoin recently. We're going to talk about her work and why Bitcoin is a different and much better way to pay people in Eritrea and Africa than the Havala system or Western Union. As always, you can watch this video on YouTube. You can listen to it in your favorite podcast player. Please subscribe and share it with your friends. If you want to become a sponsor of this show, please drop me a line at hello at anitaposch.com. And now a short word from one of my sponsors and then on to the show. Enjoy. Many people worry about the right storage for their Bitcoin. And yes, holding them isn't always easy. Smartphones get lost, hard drives can crash, and online wallets get hacked frequently. The safest way of storing cryptocurrencies long-term is offline in a physical way. That's why Coinfinity developed the Card Wallet, the professional and easy cold storage solution. The Card Wallet supports various security features, such as high-quality materials and tamper-proof features, which prevent the manipulation of the card and make it a safe place for your beloved coins. Get yourself a Card Wallet now. You will get 20% off if you order at cardwallet.com slash Anita. That's cardwallet.com slash Anita. Do you want to stay up to date with the things that happen in Bitcoin from my point of view? Then subscribe to Anita's Weekly, my newsletter with articles, videos, quotes, short tips on how to use Bitcoin and all that for free. Subscribe to Anita's Weekly at anita.link slash weekly. Hello, Meron. Uh, welcome to the Anita Posh Show. I'm glad you found the time to join me today. Thank you for having me. Welcome. So, Meron, you have quite an exceptional story. The work you do is uh, so incredible, incredibly important. And to be honest, I didn't know about all of that uh, before I started to research for this interview now. Um, you, I think lived or were born in Eritrea in, Af in Africa. And um, please introduce yourself to our audience. And then I would like to ask you to give a, an overview about the situation in Eritrea. Okay. <clears throat> uh, thank you for having me, Anita. Um, I am Stefanos. Um, I was born and um, raised until I was 13 in Eritrea. Um, at that time, there was a, there was 
uh, Eritrea was, was not an independent country, it was uh, occupied, so Eritreans were fighting for independence. Uh, so as a result, a lot of people were fleeing, and my father was an activist that had fled Eritrea and, and came to Sweden. Uh, as a result of that, I later joined him and uh, have been living here for over 30 years, so this is home. Okay, so you live in Sweden now. And um, I, what I've read, Eritrea is a dictatorship, basically. And uh, people have no human rights and things like that. So can you please give us an overview of since when is Eritrea um, independent? Where is it? How big is it? And what is the living situation? Okay. Um, Eritrea is located in East Africa. It used to be part of Ethiopia, uh, but it became part of Ethiopia in 1961. So before, well, before that, Eritrea was under colony under Italy for over 80 years. Uh, later on, uh, after the Second World War, uh, the British uh, took out the Italians and then we were occupied by the British until 1951. Uh, so 1951, when the British left, they left uh, Eritrea in the hands of the UN to decide the fate of this small country that was on top of Ethiopia, in the northern part of Ethiopia, and um, with a population of 3.5 million at that time. Um, so they decided to, to, to give us a 10-year trial as a federation with Ethiopia and, and to see if we can manage by ourselves. At that time, we had our own um, parliament. Of course, uh, but later on, 1961, the king of uh, Ethiopia, Haile Selassie, decided to make Eritrea part of uh, Ethiopia as the 14th region of Ethiopia. And unfortunately, the world did not do anything, even though there was a deal to be made that 1962 Eritreans were going to vote for their independence or not. But before the referendum, so he, he made it part of Ethiopia and nobody reacted there and they didn't do anything. So. Our fight for independence started the same year, 1961, and, and so Eritreans fled the country, and, and, and so we've been fleeing ever since. Uh, so we have a very large diaspora group because we've been fleeing for many, many years for, for different reasons. Um, so 1991, finally, we, with, with the people's movement, uh, Eritrea was freed. And, and so everybody celebrated the promise was to create, you know, not only an independent Eritrea, but to have an, a democratic Eritrea. This was a promise. So me, myself as a child, I was involved from here from Sweden. My, my, my father did everything he did was for Eritrea. So every Eritrean I knew in the diaspora, we sent whatever money we had. We sent books, we sent pens, we sent anything we could get a hold of to the movement. And, and that's how the movement was one, those that could went and fought, and those that couldn't contributed with money and materials. And so 1991, when the country was free, uh, the, the movement leader, the now president, um, just broke his promise just five months after the independence. He said, we don't need a multi-party system. Uh, he said, we don't need democracy because Eritrean people have never had democracy in their lives. So, it would be like dangerous for us to be democratic, but slowly he was going to introduce democracy. And, and so at that time, um, because it was just impossible that Eritrea was independent. It was independent in 1991, May 24, actually this week, we're celebrating 30 year anniversary. But unfortunately, since 
since that year, you know, the first promise was broken and, and soon after we were going to vote for referendum and, and many religious groups were arrested because they refused to vote because it's against their religious beliefs. And, and so those people were arrested. This is 1992, 1993, and until today they are in prison. So slowly, you know, it went, it became worse and worse. And, and by 1998, we were supposed to implement our constitution, but not to implement the constitution. He started a war with, with the neighboring country, uh, Ethiopia. But one thing I forget to mention about this is since 1994, just one year after officially Eritrea was accepted as a nation by the United Nations, uh, he started a program called National Service, Military Service, where every citizen has to, to do their military service for a year and a half um, <clears throat> to rebuild the country that has been damaged by so many wars and so many occupations before that. So everybody was happy, gladly everybody accepted. But it was supposed to be a year and a half became indefinite. Uh, so those that went round one was 1994, and they are still serving until today. Uh, so being in a military service means um, if you are, let's say, it starts from the very early age. So when you are going in high school at the age of uh, 15, 16, so you are in grade 10. And so what they do is they take you grade 11. You don't do it where you live or in the city where you live with your fam family or in a village, wherever you live. So they take you to the military camp, which is in the middle of nowhere. And, and so they are going to train. Not only do you go to school your, your last year of high school, but you are military trained at the same time. So by grade two, by grade eleven, when you graduate, depending on what kind of um, uh, points that you have, so either you pass or, or or you don't. So if you don't pass, then you are you are sent off to as a military personnel to different kind of tasks. It could be building roads. It could be. It's basically. Uh, slavery, national slavery, nothing else, because everything in the country, so if you are an educated doctor, medical doctor, so they will assign you at the, at the hospital as part of your military service. So you will be making less than 40 euros a month. Uh, at the same time, you're just a slave until the government says um, you are free to go, which is 50. So imagine, so if you are a woman, you went to the military at the age of 15 and, and so the only way you can be discharged legally is when you are 50. So a lot of women, a lot of young girls, not to go to the military, they often have kids at, at a very young age to avoid being sent to a military. So this creates many fatherless children in, 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 in the country. Um, and of, you know, like as a country that had uh, press freedom only for four years, and, and it just took like four years and later on, you know, 2000, so Eritrea uh, officially, you know, uh, in 2001, Eritrea became a dictatorship because they arrested um, all the, the journalists, the private media journalists, and, and also the ministers that, that uh, called out for implementation of the constitution to give power to the people, to have election, because we've never had election since the country was created. Uh, so in September 18, 2001, just one week after the September 11 uh, tragedy in New York, uh, in the US happened. So what they did is the whole world was busy. So our, our president actually took the opportunity to arrest all the journalists and the ministers. Uh, and ever since, so Eritrea became officially uh, a dictatorship and, and, and since then, so we became uh, the fastest emptying country and, the, and one of the, the most refugee producing countries 
after Syrians, even though by population, as I said, we are just 4 million, 4.5 maybe. Uh, but um, I would I would dare to say that close to half of our population has fled in the last 20 years because of the dictatorship and also because of the military service, because you have no right to, 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 to say anything. You have no right to think. People are getting assassinated for thinking to flee, even though they were not caught. Uh, but people can accuse you, you can get accused. You know, if I say I'm, I'm, I'm hungry, uh, it can be interpreted in a wrong way, and they can accuse me of saying, so you're trying to say there is starvation going on in the country. So it's a country where nobody trusts anybody. Everybody is afraid of the government, and, and there are all kinds of spies. Even you, your family member can be a spy just to survive. Uh, at the same time, you know, internet connection is only like 1.3%. Percent of the population have access to internet, and this is done purposely by the government. And it's, it's very slow to open an, an email would would just last you like 15 minutes. Uh, so people have, are deprived of information, and and so that's why we started about 15 years ago with with uh, radio broadcasting into the country via satellite, and we started with short wave actually because people have access to radio everywhere you go and they just need a battery, they don't even need an electricity. So in our case, it worked and, and, and you know, a few years later, of course, so a lot of other radios came and until today, you know, it's, uh, the radio where I was working is one of the leading radio stations with a reach of half a million people inside the country. Mm -hmm. Wow, what a story. And why do you think has, the, I mean, the world has forgotten Eritrea, the people of Eritrea? Is it, is it because it's such a small country and uh, you, it doesn't have natural resources and stuff like that? Why is nobody talking about that? Exactly. It's, it's a small country with a small population and, and, and it, we are a poor country. We don't have that much resources like others. So we're not important for any country to fight for us or to even stand for the people of Eritrea. Uh, of course, you know, you will have condemnations from the European Union and the US State Department all, all the time, but at the same time, there is no action. So it's just an empty resolution to make the people of Eritrea, but at the same time, they are funding uh, the dictatorship as well. Mm -hmm. So now, uh, I mean, this situation is very, very bad, but it gets more worse. I mean, it gets even worse now. Um, so tell us about uh, the, the story or what you basically are doing now, who are you helping? And I mean, so many refugees are searching for a place to have a peaceful life. And on that way, they are getting kidnapped and yeah, worse things. Um, please tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, you know, uh, as I said, so since 2005, six, I've been doing the radio and, and, and then so in 2008, so I just start focusing on refugee issues because that, that, that gave me more peace of mind uh, because when I was as an activist, political activist, uh, trying to change things in Eritrea, I felt like I was too far away from Sweden. There was nothing more I can do rather than just talking in a radio. But with refugees, it gives you peace of mind because these refugees, when they can, they when they call you, it could be you know regarding any emergency that they have, and and for them it's a matter of life and death. But for me, it's just one phone call, and and that one phone call could save the uh, hundreds of lives. Uh, so um, slowly, people start saving my number and, and started calling me from all over the world, and the refugees that are drowning in the Mediterranean Sea. 
six, seven hundred people, eight hundred people at a time, and, and they would just call you and tell you, you don't know these people, and they would just say, you know, we have no hope, and you are the only person, like after God, you, your our life is in your hand, and, and they give you a responsibility that you don't really want. Uh, and so they're desperate. I, I cannot, I don't have the heart to say, sorry, I don't want that responsibility. Just try to calm them down. But um, when a person calls you from the Mediterranean Sea, when they are in distress, it's, it's, um, it's very difficult because you feel if there is, if, you know, we try to send them help, but if they don't get help, then it's your fault because they have given you the responsibility uh, of their lives. And so it started like this, and, and then slowly the refugees start calling me. Um, I heard, you know, someone told me that uh, his brother was kidnapped and and and, uh, and he was being asked for ransom of twenty thousand dollars, and, and it, it seemed like a bit exaggerated. I knew about the kidnapping, but. I knew that it used to be up to $4,000 and people did not really make a big deal out of it. They used to pay easily. But so slowly this has jumped to 20,000 from 4,000, it went up to 20,000, which was amazing. And I couldn't believe, so I, I called the group and, and, and uh, I don't know, I, I just got really touched uh, by their stories. It, it was a group of 28 or 29. Um, uh, who were being held together and they were shackled with chains. Uh, there was only one female 18 year old girl and, and, and uh, she was getting raped, gang raped by so many and, and, and also being tortured, you know, all kinds of terrible uh, methods that you can think of. You know, it's, it's the, the torture methods that they use is very sadistic and, and, and they get, you know, they get off of it. And, and for them it's fun because when these people are being humiliated, uh, they film them, they make them do things, you know, like they want them to pretend like animals, uh, to go naked, and they force them to rape each other, just for the fun of it, uh, to humiliate them. If they know a brother and a sister are traveling together, they, they can force the brother to, to rape his own sister. Uh, if he says no, they would burn him with all kinds of electricity and things. So it's it's awful, it gives you sleepless nights. The things they tell you, it's, it's just, you don't even see it in a horror film. And, and I just, my life changed after that. I, I just could not ignore it. And, and I dedicated my life, the past 10 years of my life, uh, fighting the human traffickers who kidnapped these people. And, but at the beginning, it was frustrating because uh, when you went to uh, authorities, uh, our government doesn't really care. So the reason these people call me is because our embassy doesn't really care. The, our embassies in Europe or elsewhere, they are here to spy on us, not to assist a, a citizen. Uh, so that's why they call activists like me. And and, and um, so, you know, when I wrote to UN and others and anybody that I could think of, I wrote to my government here in Sweden, um, any anyone, organizations, and, and everybody was saying, oh, it's so sad, but there is nothing we can do. So I was forced into... Uh, to break the taboo of paying ransoms, because if, I mean, if your, your choice is just pay or you die, uh, if it was your loved one, of course you would pay. Uh, no matter which, what government tells you they don't, it's, I, it's just a lie because they always pay ransoms and they negotiate, they release their citizens when people are in trouble while they tell you not to do that. Uh, so that frustration led into, I start paying ransoms, even though I knew it will encourage, but what else can you do? Because I, I just couldn't let a, a two-year-old baby getting tortured and burned for a year straight. 
until that person dies or you pay 20,000 and it, at the beginning it was 20,000, later on it, it went up to 60,000 a person. We were talking about Eritrea, it's a country that's like the poorest of the poorest that, that, that doesn't have anything. We flee because of the political situation, but at the same time we don't have anything. Uh, but for these kidnappers, they think because we have a large diaspora group that have fled for many years, long time, like me and, and others. So uh, they start specifically start uh, targeting just Eritrean refugees that recently fled. And, and to get out of Eritrea, you know, you have a shoot to kill policy, you're not supposed to flee. Uh, but you're so 50% will make it out and, and then 50% once you make it 50% will get kidnapped because um, the traffickers are roaming around the border area traffickers are corrupting the border guards uh, into luring refugees uh, to them and so see you can hardly stop it because we're talking about you flee from your trial in Sudan the Sudanese guards are kidnapping you selling you to the traffickers and the traffickers are selling you off to Egyptians who then auction you off like a slave. Uh, and so traffickers would line up and buy off how, however many of um, Eritreans they want to. And then they will set a price, uh, you know, the, the, the later on it became the cheapest price you could pay was 33,000. And then the largest was 60,000 a year. I mean, for a person. Uh, because of this, so, over 10,000, close to 10,000 Eritreans disappeared or died uh, just in Egypt alone because their family could not pay ransom. And, and close to 40, 50 to 50,000 paid and, and, and are now alive, scattered all over the world. But we're talking about, so in five years' time, we Eritreans paid um, close to $1 billion just in ransom. And, and to who, we don't even know to who we paid. They could be terrorist groups, they could be anybody, but you know, even the Western country, they never cared. Uh, we tried to get them interested. I was always in touch um, at the EU Parliament, European Commission, State Department, but nothing was being done. Of course, they take the information you have, but at the same time, they didn't do anything. Uh, so the same method now was copied in Libya after uh, Muammar Gaddafi, uh, died so now Eritreans who try to flee uh, to, towards Libya to come to Europe uh, since 2012 2013 they, they keep getting kidnapped and it's the same method that is in Egypt uh, it's being committed in Libya the only thing that's different is in Egypt when these refugees were getting uh, kidnapped and when they were getting tortured uh, families uh, so they forced families to listen to the to the torture and to listen while their loved one is getting gang raped uh, that's how they force you to them. So in Libya, they, they, they became a bit high tech and, and, and so now they call you via video call and, and they show you as your loved one is getting tortured and getting raped. And, and, and of course, so uh, anybody would just borrow money from whoever you can and, and, and you do that. I myself, you know, uh, my cousin was kidnapped after covering this issue for many years. So later on, uh, she became the victim and, and it was just too much for me to listen to my little cousin getting gang raped by five, six guys uh, and, and I have to be on phone and they keep calling me when she's uh, tortured and everything. At last uh, I had to pay $37,000 for her, for her freedom and which will take me years to pay off the debt that, that I put myself. And imagine I live here in the West. Imagine those that, that, that are in Eritrea, a poor family that borrowed money, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 uh, for generations, they're not going to be able to pay. 
and, and it, we are going, this is going to affect us for many generations to come. So uh, this is the story that I hear on a daily basis, the phone calls that I get. But this sounds like that it is like a business. I mean, the, 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 the tortures, the kidnapping, the selling of people, you know, like on a market, like slaves. Uh, uh, I, I read also uh, one of these things in one of these uh, reports from uh, Human Rights Watch, I think, or something like that. Um, what, what can be a solution here? I mean, what are you doing now? You Are you trying to... Uh, get so many donations to be able to pay all of that, but as you say, you 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 in a way it's encouraging encouraging the 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 kidnappers to do more, isn't it? I mean, what is what could be a solution? Yeah, <clears throat> um, the last time I paid ransom is 2013, I think. So I haven't paid ransom after that, uh, but. Families are still paying. As I said, when it's your loved one, if it's your daughter or your son, it's getting tortured and raped, and you'll do anything. And, and, and the problem, as I said, the reason that we pay is because we have no one else to turn to. Our mm. government doesn't care. Um, the West doesn't really care about black babies getting tortured and kidnapped. Uh, I can give you an example. Many times, uh, Europeans have been kidnapped in, in the Sinai, Egypt, in the same place where Eritreans were getting tortured. Within a day, 24 hours, within maximum two weeks, they are out. Mm. How did they get them out? So if you can free one person because she's European or American or Israeli, but you cannot free thousands of refugees and babies amongst them and pregnant children, a pregnant women, <laughs> it, it, it's just, uh, if it's not about race, it's about nothing. You know, we talk about, we try to be uh, polite and here in Europe, you know, we say, Black Lives Matter after George Floyd, but to be honest, more black people are killed in European soil than in American soil. Because people crossing to, to Europe are dying on a daily basis and nobody cares because these are black babies that are dying and, and people are getting used to, um, Africans uh, are so dehumanized everywhere by media and everything that you see. So people don't react when it's about us. And politicians, you know, uh, they, what they care most and what they fear most is public opinion. So as long as the people don't care, politicians are not going to do anything about it just because Meron is screaming or... Yeah, I think... I think it's also because it's like us and them, you know, like it's not uh, a case of Europe or like Austria or Sweden or the US. It's Eritrea. It's their stuff. It's they have to cope with it. Yeah, they they should uh, try to uh, um, how do you, um, force the dictator out. Yeah. But how how can you do this Yeah, if you have no means and no power? Yeah. So so so. What, what are you doing now? You said something about research uh, and trying to, to find those traffickers and stuff like that. Yeah, so since I start covering refugee-related issues since 2008, you know, you get to hear all kinds of stories. I saw everything that I just said, like the torture, the death in the Mediterranean Sea, and everything is caused by, by the traffickers as well. You know, there is, of course, there is an European policy when these people die. But at the same time, uh, there's also the traffickers that, that, that facilitate, you know, instead of sending 100 people in one, in one rubber boat, they put 500 people in that rubber boat just to be greedy and to make money. And of course, 
Um, so every season around this season, we always get all kinds of uh, phone calls and, and at least five to six bots are that drown are always carrying irritants. So for us, irritants, we're so used to around when the summer is about to approach that at least 3,000 irritants are going to die. Uh, just during the summer in the Mediterranean Sea. And, and so we have become so numb and so used to because it happens every year. You just fear and you say, I hope this year is not going to be uh, like it was last year. And you hope for the best that it's going to be less people that die. But unfortunately, um, people are going to always die. People are going to always flee. And, and even if it's us and them, but it's everybody's right to seek asylum. It's, we all have a right to go anywhere and ask asylum. Uh, as long as these countries are UN refugees convention signatory. So coming to Europe is not illegal, really, because people have the right to seek asylum wherever they want to, but they try to make them look like they are criminals by, by naming them, especially journalists that assist this, you know, like by calling them illegal immigrants. But nobody really can determine who's legal and illegal until that person asks asylum and, and, and there is a legal due process and, and then whether that person gets accepted or rejected. Even if that person gets rejected, it doesn't make that person illegal. But journalists often use, you know, the words illegal migrants entered uh, Austria or Germany or Sweden this much and they talk about, you know, uh, refugee being flooded all over Europe. In reality, it's not really the truth and, and, and Europe to survive needs manpower. Uh, but this is a war against the poor, this is a war against blacks, this is a war against Muslims, it's, it's all about, about all this, it's, it's not about really asylum because uh, close to half a million people ask asylum every year by coming but via air and nobody talks about them because these are people that are privileged, they are not poor, poor and desperate people like those that come uh, by boat. So instead of talking about half a million people, at least that come in different countries and ask asylum every year. So we talk about the 60,000 or 70,000 a year that cross via the Mediterranean Sea or, you know, those that cross via Greece, Turkey. Um, so it's, so my focus became, okay, I cannot fight the big powers like EU and others, and I cannot change their policy. Of course, I, I do lobby them uh, quite often. But at the same time, I decided, you know, like it's time to to punish the, the, the traffickers that made me cry, you know, listening to all this uh, suffering of the people. I am affected as well. Uh, it affects me. And some of these traffickers, of course, they call, they, they threaten me uh, many times because I, I happen to mention them in my radio and many smugglers do threaten me. Uh, stop talking about us. But how can you not talk about them if you are, as a journalist, if you are talking to refugees? Uh, who were just kidnapped. And of course, they are going to ask who kidnapped you or who set you up and, and they are going to mention their name and then I'm the one getting threatened. So it just became too much. I couldn't take take it anymore, listening to all the suffering of the people. So I decided to, to follow and research about the traffickers and the smugglers that put these people in this danger. And um, I've been doing so, keeping, I've been documenting everything since 2008. So I just start following one by one. Where is this person? So I have uh, sources um, in different places, parts of the world, especially in Africa, where the smugglers and traffickers operate. Uh, so I do pay a lot of people that, that 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 bring lots of information about these people, and and, and I have researchers that, that do research about this, and also uh, about Eritrean refugees in different parts of the world that of things that happen to them, because I felt uh, right now if I get a phone call from a boat in the Mediterranean Sea. 
uh, it would be dangerous for me to answer that phone call and try to save them because um, the new EU law is going after the, the, the people that save lives. Um, so, you know, you'll get punished and, and for every life that, that you bring in to the Italian Sea, for example, so you are punished $10,000 euros per each person and you can be sent to prison as well. So as a solo woman, I cannot put myself into that danger. So I stop answering phone calls like that instead. So now my focus is just going after the traffickers and helping authorities in different parts of the world that whoever wants to go after them, I'll help them because I've got the information they don't have and they got the means. And, and uh, so I do collaborate and, and this is what most of my work has been the past two years. Mm -hmm. Okay, wow. Um, and um, on Twitter, you said that you paid your researchers the first time uh, with Bitcoin. And usually you do it um, through Western Union or with the Havala system. Can you please explain the Havala system to us? Sure. <clears throat> uh, the Havala system is it's, it's, a, it's a, an inofficial way of banking system. Uh, there are nowadays there are those so-called registered hawalas, uh, but the one the hawala that I'm talking about is um, it's it's just a, a money transfer that's based on trust. So if I'm in Sweden, I want to send money back home to my mother, then I'll contact somebody here. Uh, there are those people that receive money, and so you give it to them. If I send three three hundred euros, then so my mother will get her money in cash within two days. Um, maximum three days and, and, and so the businessmen that cannot move their money out of Eritrea, Ethiopia or in most parts of Africa it's very hard for businessmen to, to move out their money especially in hard currency uh, so for this reason they want to keep their money abroad and, and so they use their family members and friends that they know uh, that are abroad to collect money for them and, and they give away cash for us back home so this is how we've been sending I don't know, over 40 years since, maybe even longer since Eritreans started fleeing and other Africans started fleeing, coming to the West. So this is a way that we send our money. And there is another way is of course, like Western Union, uh, which charges you, um, there's a transfer fee. And on top of it, you know, like you are required to give ID card. And also for the person, it have, the person have to require uh, an ID as well. Um, but it's not only that, but the, 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 the rate that you get is at a fixed rate that the government uh, fixed. So for example, Eritrea, um, a few years ago, 100 euro used to be worth uh, close to 8,000 in local currency. And, and then so the government decided now we're changing money and they put down the money to 1,500. But in value, it doesn't really buy you much, but it just became like that. So if I send money, via Western Union, so my mom is going to get 1,500. If I send via the Hawala system, so she can go out and get more than what the bank will give. Sometimes it can even be double if I send to Ethiopia uh, than what the fixed price or what the bank would give you. So for this reason, everybody of course prefers to do to send via the Hawala. There is no guarantee, it's just a matter of trust. And I know people that send 50,000, $60,000 at once via Hawala. We're not talking about only like two, three hundred dollars if they accept like as large amount as, as, as you want to. Uh, and this is how we're talking about billions and billions of money and remittance are also sent this way, not only like the businessmen, but even money sent um, for different reasons. 
So uh, these are the means that we've been using. And, and now, um, you know, I, I learned because um, the Human Rights Foundation has been giving um, Bitcoin, um, what they call, so they've been teaching us about Bitcoin and, 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 and so they have had like all kinds of workshops for activists to, to get to know, to learn about Bitcoin, how to receive, how to send, and, and also like how to receive donations for your organizations and things like that. So um, uh, I got very interested slowly. And, and, and so even though for many years, they've been trying to get us interested and, and for many years, they've been giving us all kinds of workshops in person uh but now that was the time for me to, to be interested in bitcoin and and, and and especially i loved it how you can receive and send and so they they taught us about the wallets and, and which wallets and what kind of wallets so then i start learning which were the best you know so uh, so i loved the, the blue wallet and the moon wallet lightning uh which were doesn't you don't need anything to register you don't even need to an email or anything so uh which was amazing um, how easy it was uh, to receiving bitcoin so I, then i said uh, as we were learning about this so my mind always works in into different ways and, and and so i said yeah this could be a way to, to send money to back home okay maybe not to eritrea because as i said it's very few people have access to to internet but still you know our people are all over Canada, Ethiopia, Sudan or elsewhere and, and so I, I started um, training a few of the, the my researchers uh, to be to, to learn how to receive the same way I learned and, and, and so now it went well and, and um, since my tweet it's, it's very exciting there are so many Ethiopians, Eritreans, so many Africans that are interested, and, and I've been getting like hundreds of emails. I had to disable my, my Twitter uh, uh, DMs because it was too much. I couldn't teach <laughs> one by one to so many people. So I'm, <laughs> I'm actually thinking to do a tutorial on, on Foxful and, 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 and the other wallets so that it becomes easy, but it's exciting to see people getting excited in Africa about Bitcoin. Mm -hmm, cool. And why do you think is it better than the Havala system? Um, for many reasons. I mean, first of all, I mean, the value of Bitcoin is, um, I believe in it. I believe it's something that will that will hold and it will ha always have bigger value than anything, like when, no matter what people say about other cryptocurrencies, but um, I'm a strong believer of Bitcoin and I, I do believe that's a feature. Uh, and, and I want Africans to join the feature because uh, the beauty about Bitcoin is it doesn't discriminate, it doesn't see color, it doesn't see religion, anybody can have it. It's a digit, and, and, and so if people, if everybody learn on, about Bitcoin, I mean, not only like as a way of transfer, but I want them to invest. And, and, and surprisingly, you know, people in Ethiopia are actually buying Bitcoin in black market and at a very high rate. And just because people don't have information like uh, Paxful and things, that's why it became a big deal for them. A lot of people are writing to me because they didn't know how to buy this. They know about Bitcoin, they know about cryptocurrency. But they don't have the access, and, and sadly, you know, for many of the apps, you know, they they uh, you have to have um, a Visa card, which uh, not many people in Africa have access to credit cards or debit cards, which makes it harder for them to trade and, and buy. Uh, and not only that, but at, at the same time, you know, those uh, apps they, they they need all kind of identification which they don't have. 
for example, in Ethiopia right now, those people are having a hard time with Paxful because um, it used to be just email, but now it's it's like you know you need to have an ID and and and, and so for Ethiopians that means they have to have a passport and, and forget that. I mean, not many people own a passport. It's very few people have a passport. Those that are about that that travel, those that have money, those that are privileged. Uh, the rest of the people don't. So I do really hope that Paxful will, will change their, their ways or, or or others will come um, in the way that as it was in the beginning was really exciting because you just could buy without verifying your ID and so. I, I fear that this will not turn back. So I think they will stay that way. I mean, there are other services like Hodl Hodl, for instance, or BISC, where you can uh, buy and sell Bitcoin without an ID. And I hope that in the future that there will be more services like that. Um, but the, the, uh, the hope also is that people are going to send Bitcoin with each other, like you did with your researchers, like from per really from person to person. I know it from Zimbabwe, they do it in Telegram or WhatsApp groups. Then they meet up or, or then they know each other and they exchange person to person and then you don't need an ID. Because it's also very important, I guess, uh, from the point of view of for refugees, because if you flee countries, um, you also don't have the same currency there where you go <laughs> than no. where you come from, yeah? Exactly, so, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes everything easy. You know, first of all, as I said, um, you know, with Bitcoin and comparing to the fixed rate, as, as I said, the government can change the, the price in Africa. It has been done so many times where the value can just decrease in eight by 80 percent in one day just because your president wanted to be like that and, and nobody's going to do anything. So in value, nobody wants to hold in local currency because it's not trusted, because the government and their policies are not trusted. Uh, so as a means of saving and as a means of just having all your money in Bitcoin is much safer for everybody. And a lot of people are now realizing. Uh, so like for countries like Uganda, I do send Bitcoin there and it's, it's, it's very easy. It's not, it's, it's not that hard. And, and the people, you know, we can, we can buy Bitcoin by just via mobile payments or, or, or in person in cash, just over WhatsApp group or, or anything. So it's, people are used to it. But, um, uh, for Ethiopians and other parts of Africa, as I said, it's stricter and it's, it's harder. It's going to be a bit hard to, to reach. But as long as people are understanding now the value of it, and, and, and I think everybody's going to invest whichever way, people always find a way. Mm. And, and so now refugees are learning about this. Uh, so for us, it's easier to send them, as you said, via Bitcoin, just like the Venezuelan refugees, you know, uh, who have played a big role in receiving and, 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 and uh, any kind of donations from family members and or any donations from outside via Bitcoin and which is exciting. So if they can do it, of course our people are going to be able to do it as well. And uh, so I'm, I'm I'm here. I'm going to continue uh, for those that are inspired and that, that want to work on, on Bitcoin for Africans, especially Eritreans and Ethiopians. I'll keep helping them and I'll do some tutorial videos for them in order to understand the value of it and and and, and start investing in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Very good. And I mean, you're, you live in Sweden. Um, I guess also in Sweden, there will be a lot of news around at the moment around the topic of the energy consumption of Bitcoin. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, 
it, it's I mean there's all kind of controversy uh, but I've, I've also read at the same time that it's, it's, it's like whatever they are claiming it's not as much emission as well so I've seen some studies yesterday I was reading about it and, and it's not that they are claiming just because they say so uh, you know they will have to prove it I guess uh, and nowadays you know how many people are mining to be honest not not no it's not that much so um, yeah I mean it uses a lot of electricity that is true but it needs it to secure the the value of the network so nobody can hack it but the question is I mean for me the point is um, if I compare it with the positive effects that Bitcoin can have in humanitarian um, improvements for the people, I say, okay, then, yeah, we need this electricity, but still we can do so much that's positive that outweighs all the negative external externalities. And I, I also think that they are over-exaggerated, over you know, because... Uh, the euro, the US dollar, the petrodollar all use energy and have exactly. bad emissions. So, yeah. Exactly. So it's just hypocritical for anybody that questions that because, uh, you know, there are so many other things that we, that we do on a daily basis because it's necessity. We, we use electricity for so many reasons and we cannot stop it because we know it's, uh, it's being um, consumed like a lot of electricity. But as you said, you know, you look at the necessity of it and what outweighs what's important and then uh, what's not. Uh, of course, the environment is very important. I'm not saying it's not, but at the same time, uh, money is important as well. Without it, we cannot survive. And, and the same thing, we're talking about Bitcoin, it's the future money. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's, there's always going to be a controversy, regardless, you know, like when you make money on Bitcoin, people always will criticize you. When you don't make money on Bitcoin, people criticize you. If it goes up, people say something, if it goes down. So I've learned to just ignore what all those negative, toxic people, I, I just do, I believe in it and, and, and I'm enjoying, I'm happy I learned um, about Bitcoin and, 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 and yeah, so I'm going to continue with this. <laughs> mm. And it it makes it makes your work easier. And you would exactly. say, and you would say maybe that even more humanitarian, even when more humanitarian organizations would use it, then it would make their lives easier too. Yeah, and actually, you know, surprisingly, a lot of organizations that I know, a lot of activists do use uh, Bitcoin as a method of receiving payments, especially those that are in the third world because uh, often the governments do not allow them to have any kind of the donations from outside. Uh, they would level them and call them spies of the West or something. So it's very difficult. So to be discreet, uh, a lot of activists I know and, and organizations are discreetly receiving money in Bitcoin, uh, donations in Bitcoin, and, and there is no way to trace it. And even if that person, one person happened to be arrested, you know, so there are only three people that have access to the code, so they can never have it again. And, we know, we as activists know that. And also, you know, like as, as, as activists that are fighting dictatorship, it's, it's also Bitcoin can be a tool to fight the dictatorship. So that's the way I look at it. One is to help the people on the ground as a way of transferring method. And, um, and secondly, that investment. And thirdly, is to even topple dictatorship. Because if, for, for example, in Eritrea, I mean, um, over 36% of the population survives because of remittance. A wisdom. And, and who calls who controls the banking is the government. Who controls the, the hawala is the government. So the people that give money out in Eritrea are actually part of the government because they need our hard currency. So if we Eritreans and other 
uh, Africans, whoever is that's fighting dictatorship, if they start sending things just via Bitcoin, that means you took away the power of that government. It took away because without money, they're nothing. So for me, I look at it as a tool for so many things. When you're an activist, you can use Bitcoin for so many things, great things. And, and so I'm thankful that it exists. Um, and I hope more people learn. Mm -hmm. A very important point, uh, what you just said about how, how to take down dictatorships, yeah? Just to like dry them out, like give them no more money, yeah? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Op opt out of the system, yeah? And use Bitcoin, yeah? Exactly, yeah. Um, great. Uh, so how are you going to use Bitcoin in the future? Uh, you said something about collecting donations. Is there anything, I mean, what can the audience do? Do, do you already take donations? Um, how can we support you and your work? Yeah, yeah. Anybody can. That wants, right now, I mean, I haven't set up an I haven't set up an organization that receives um, donations. It's I'm just a private person, as I say. But anybody who wants to help and always reach out. Uh, I'm always active on Twitter. Uh, my email is there. Uh, anybody can email me or write me on Twitter and, and get in touch. And, and if people have more ideas on on how me as an activist can use. Uh, more tools that could help my activism. So reach out. Uh, there's all kinds of things that you can do. It's not only donations. People can share ideas and, and, and that's very helpful as well. And uh, do you need help in setting up a donation website? Because I guess I have many listeners who can do this te uh, technically. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't have a website. As, as I said, like I'm a solo woman doing so many mm -hmm. things. So it's amazing after all these years, I still don't have a website, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what true. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe we talk afterwards. I, maybe I can help you with a small website if you like. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm sure we're going, we can find somebody who sets up a PTC pay server for you so that you can receive uh, Bitcoin into your, what did you say? Blue wallet or mm -hmm. into the moon wallet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. I mean, cool. Yeah, as cool <laughs> as it can be uh, yeah. with this with this serious topic. Um, okay, yeah. Anything you want to tell the audience? Um, I will put the links to your Twitter and um, yes, and maybe also the two stories you shared with me yesterday. I will put that in the show notes. Right. And um, anything that you want to say to our listeners? Uh, stay engaged, uh, you know, people, you know, uh, often, you know, when we when we have an interest, you know, you can be interested in, in, in Bitcoin and you still can be interested in human rights as well. So use whatever is your speciality and do something good. And, and, and that nowadays, you know, anybody can, can, whatever work you do, you can always connect it to human rights. And, and that's what I want to advise your listeners. And um, I thank you for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you, Anita. Thank you very much, Miron, and um, I'll get in contact with you about the interview and also the website we're doing together. <laughs> sure. Okay, super. Thank you very much. Have Thank a good you day. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining the Anita Posh Show today to learn more about Bitcoin. You can find the show notes for this conversation on anita.link slash show. If you want to get the best stories in Bitcoin from my point of view in your mailbox, go to anita.link weekly and subscribe.
And if you have a question or just want to send me some feedback, drop me a line at hello at anitaposch.com. See you next week when it's time for the Anita Posh Show. Music, start with yes, delicate beats. Content, idea and production, Anita Posch.